Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rich. Thank you for tuning in to a brand new episode of My Take Radio, Beyond the Mic. For those of you tuning in for the first time, My Take Radio, Beyond the Mic, is an interview series showcasing unique, talented, and forward-thinking individuals that are on our radar and we would like to put on your radar. My guest for this episode is Barry Myers, the founder of Slingshot Events, who has been a longtime staple in the tech event scene, organizing events such as Digital Life for Ziff Davis, uh, the Gadget Live Tour for Gadget, later on the Engadget Expand event as well. His latest project is Get Geeked, which is a brand new uh, B2C technology event, which is going to allow attendees, not only media attendees, but also the general public to get hands-on time with some of the best products in the game. Not only products that are currently on the market, but also products that are coming to market. Uh, Their first event will be the Get Geeked NY event, which is going down here in New York City on October 16th. It will be open to the general public. That's the beauty of this event. Uh, The media, of course, will have access as well, but it is open to the general public. And best of all, it costs absolutely nothing. Zero. Nothing out of pocket. No strings attached. You want to get your hands on some of the best technology out there. Definitely make it a point if you're in New York City to check out this event. For further details and to register, make sure you head over to Get Geeked. Dot TV. That's G-E-T-G-E-E-K-E-D dot TV. And make sure to register so you can attend this event. I was really, really proud and honored to sit down with Barry as I've had a, a good relationship with him and I've covered a lot of the events that he has organized. And I look forward to uh, sharing the Get Geeked event with you guys come October 16th. With that said, let's get into the interview. Brand new MTR Beyond the Mic with Barry Myers starts right now. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to a brand new installment of My Take Radio's Beyond the Mic interview series, shining the spotlight on some of the leading, thought-provoking personalities that are always on our radar. My guest this time is Barry Myers, who I had the pleasure of meeting uh, at a gadget event so many years ago. He's launching a brand new project, Get Geeked. They got their brand new event heading your way here in New York City uh, in roughly about two and a half weeks, uh, being to October 1st being today. And um, we're going to get into that and so much more. And we're going to talk about his journey into launching this brand new endeavor. What's going on, Barry? How are you? I'm great, man. I'm great, Rich. Thanks for having me. Uh, you've, you've come a long way. I remember you and I first met at a gadget event that we covered uh, as just my take radio and at the time you know the gadget event and even the gadget website was definitely something so unique it was allowing people just to interact on a on a more intimate level with technology and just voice their opinions about technology on a more intimate level outside of the confines of message boards and and you know the the usual outlets how did you how did you feel being part of that medium when it started you know back in back in 08 Wow. I mean, you know, you have to look at the the leadership we had. I mean, to be able to work side by side with Ryan Block and Peter Rojas as they created that. And, you know, they were the creators of Engadget, of course. And, um, you know, they had a very different vision for Gadget, as you know. I mean, that was not an editorially driven site. That was a consumer shopping experience type of uh, comparison shopping site. And, uh, And it was beautiful. And they had an amazing vision. Uh, and it was definitely something different, at least in the uh, context of the tech scene. I mean, there were some broader sites like Metacritic and, and even Rotten Tomatoes for, for, for films uh, that were doing something similar, but it was pretty unique. And, you know, I was one of the early hires there. So at the outset, it was, you know, all hands on deck. I mean, we were a very small team. We were a very small team right up until we were acquired. So we were all doing a little bit of everything. Now, of course, you you had worked previously, you know, you mentioned Digital Life, and I also, I think I I even covered a Digital Life event at some point as well, you know, and you actually were were a co-founder for that. So, you know, transitioning from that into not so much a startup, but just a company that had a different direction, 
How did that? How did that feel for you? Because what happens is you go from uh, somebody that punches the clock every day to somebody who's you know one hundred percent invested. How was that transition for you? Well, I, I mean, you're not far afield. I mean, but it's interesting because. You know, when we co-founded Digital Life, the team that did that, and I was lucky to be with some really great people for that, too, people who had a lot of experience in the trade show space because, you know, Digital Life was a four-day mini CES big booth Javits event, and it was amazing. I mean, it was pre-economic meltdown, so um, the budgets and, and, and such were different at these companies, and the model of a big booth trade show style event for consumers was viable. It's It's not real anymore, but... The point being that, um, you know, we came together to create Digital Life and we pitched it around and it was Ziff Davis who brought us in-house, of course, to, to produce that event. Um, and we became the event marketing group, but we were Digital Life 24-7. So we were almost like a little startup within, a, you know, a major media corporation. I mean, we had the support of the other departments. And, of course, the Ziff PC Mag editors back then were just amazing. I mean, you go back to folks like Michael Miller and uh, Lance Ulanoff and Jim Lauderback, and it was amazing to work with those guys. Um, so there was a little bit of that kind of feel. I mean, we were kind of doing our own thing at Ziff, and people were walking around going, is this thing going to fly? And I'll tell you, one of the most rewarding things that ever happened to me was the first day of that first event in 2004 when the editors, when the Ziff employees walked into the Javits and saw what we had created, and we went to that after party, and people were just blown away. You know, they That's how events are. I mean, unless you're on the inside, you, you don't really know know what you're getting into and what you're going to see when you get there until until you make it happen. Um, so from that respect, there was a lot of similarities, actually. I mean, it wasn't, you know, VC funded and we weren't doing all of that stuff, but um, but it was almost a little similar in that respect. Oh, well, looking uh, looking at that and, and, you know, kind of addressing the planning stages to put an event of that scale together. Um, what are what, what's your prep? For, for something like that. I mean, I know that there's reaching out to the vendors, but in terms of just bringing that together, can you know give us a, a, a brief behind the scenes how you tie that together? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, the events, the, the event business is crazy, you know, and Digital Life was um, 24-7-365. We did one four-day event every year. When that event was over, we started planning and prepping and pitching the next year's event. Wow. Um, we had a team. I mean, it was a small team, but we had a dedicated ops manager who dealt with a lot of the uh, logistical issues. We had a, a small sales team, so we were able to divide and conquer. Uh, we had an amazing GM who kept you know track of all the P&L and all that stuff. So we did have a bit of a team. But when you start to talk about operations and logistics and sales and marketing, and we had a, a really intense marketing plan and strategy for that. I mean, we were on Howard Stern, we were in Metro Daily, and I mean, that was, again, a different size and scope of an event, but there's a ton of planning. I mean, it's just crazy. And to a very real extent, you know, with Get Geeked, it's a mini version of that. And I'm just kind of doing it all myself now. I mean, I've got terrific contractors. You know, my ops manager used to run Belkin's trade shows. She's fantastic. My PR guy was at Edelman, New York for years and Samsung after that before he started his own firm. So we kind of have similarities in that. But, uh, it gets real crazy. There's a lot of moving parts. And the one thing I'll say, which I understand and I, I try to make sure everybody on my team knows, is that whether you're a little startup who, you know, paid the startup rate to come in one of these events or whether you're, you know, Lenovo or TiVo who's paid a little extra and got all the bells and whistles of a sponsorship, uh, you have every right to think that that event is your event. And that's, you know, what makes these types of events a little different. And I communicate that a lot to our vendors, AV venues and stuff. I say, you know, the different thing is we're not one brand coming in here blowing out this great big event just for us. We're really servicing, you know, in the instance of Get Geek, and we'll get to it, I know, I mean, 35, 36 different companies who are have, you know, similar but different objectives. And that's what we have to really keep on the top of our mind. Well, you know, your your career is... is pretty it's funny because it goes into a couple different directions and i what what got me and it was interesting obviously i you know once we started connecting on a more on a more personal level that your your journey it's almost like you you went into this head first kind of with i don't want to say that you went in unknown but you went into the 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 event planning scene and just the tech industry scene just with such an open mind, I remember the the gadget event at the time was super open. You were you know you were just able to walk right up to the booths, hang out. Um, you know people were walking around giving food. Hell, I remember they gave me a um 
uh, the the on live gaming console for free. <laughs> yeah, I still have it. It's still in the box, you know. And it's <laughs> and it's crazy that oh hi, you're covering the event. Here's a console. You know, you don't hear that kind of stuff every day. And the, uh, what I wanted to ask you about that is how you know where where do you get where do you draw inspiration to think outside of the box? Because you and I both know these these big events, these CES types events. You know, you walk in, you go from table to table. Somebody pitches you about the product. You take some notes. Maybe you take some photos maybe some video and you go about your business and then maybe maybe you might get a follow-up from a pr person a week or two after the event is over and then you try to build a relationship off of that and you know where did you where do you get the inspiration to be so outside of the box for this stuff is it just you're seeing what other people are doing wrong and you're like yeah i don't want to do that or do you just do you just feel that you want to just pave your own way well, I, I mean, great question. You know, I, I think there are a couple different ways to answer. I mean, it's funny because, first of all, you, you know, you talk about the journey. I mean, the journey is even crazier than, than, than you probably understand. I mean, I went to, to law school and I did telecom technology regulatory work for, for, for almost five years in a small little boutique firm outside of Boston wow. before I hooked up with the team that eventually produced Digital Life. And, um, you know, we were writing white papers. I was in an office with no windows. I actually slept in the office for a couple of days. I, re- I wrote a white paper uh, on behalf of AOL when they were merging with Time Warner at the risk of dating myself. Wow. So um, it was interesting stuff, but, uh, but utterly different. Um, but jumping ahead to you know answer your question a little more directly, I think I'm almost riding a wave, and it's a wave of understanding coming from the companies that they need to engage these consumers directly. They need to build these relationships. The reach and influence of an individual enthusiast is increasing every day. The data is everywhere about how directly they drive purchases among their peers with their advice and recommendations. So at a real broad sense, there's an understanding, and that's the piece I'm passionate about. I mean, you know, if you look back, none of the events I've done were B2B. You know, I'm not interested in those events where your VP and my VP get together to schmooze in Las Vegas. Uh, They serve their purpose, and there's a ton of them out there, but there aren't too many events where consumers can actually engage with the companies uh, that, you know, make the gear they're lusting after. Um, So there's that broader wave. And then I just think on top of that, it's, you know, you hear it a lot. I mean, my Feedly's filled with social media articles and and news coverage. And, you know, you you just, from there, you just kind of focus on being authentic. And, you know, if you want to become, it sounds kind of funny, but if you want to become friends with a company, you know, what do you do that's that much different than when you want to become friends with somebody you meet? Exactly. And that's that's exactly it. I mean, people and I think social is is partly responsible for this. I uh, people are so much more accessible now that, you know, one of the one of the big things is that accessibility with companies like you're able to reach out to Samsung Mobile and say, hey, you know, I like your product or I'm not I'm not a fan of your product. And you may you may get a response. And that's one of the things that I really liked about you, that you being a representative of your own brand, in essence, it it was always, hey, Barry, what about this? Even when you were doing the gadget events and I was uh, covering it for the first time, I emailed you a litany of questions because it was my first time covering it. And you were like, yeah, you know, come through. And that level of accessibility in terms Mm -hmm. of just an industry event is is seldom seen. You know, The, the level of communication definitely needs to be there because we're so much more social. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, fascinating because it's a real key differentiator between companies now and a real indicator potential indicator of success i mean you know the the uh the corporations the mega corporations who will respond to a tweet instantly and uh and of course the startups who get it i mean you know one of the things with starting my own company is i'm dealing with all these amazing small business tools like fresh books and things like that you know you call fresh books up and a real person answers and every time i do that it just blows my mind it's so refreshing i mean that's that's one of the things like for as much as as people you know, admonish the utilization of social media for, for those of us trying to carve our, our own niche, pave our own way. You, we need that direct response. You don't want to be a press one for this, a press two for this. You want to be a, Hey, you're talking to the VP or, Hey, you're able to reach. I mean, eventually you get to a point where, yeah, you don't want to answer every question, but at that point you still create enough of a threshold where real knowledgeable human beings can still answer those questions. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, there's plenty to poo-poo about social media and, and plenty of problems and issues and privacy concerns and what have you. But, you know, the notion that it's, you know, not here to stay is, of course, ludicrous. And it is a just absolutely critical communication channel between companies and consumers. Well, you, you know, go, going now into, you know, the Get Geeked event, you launched you launched your your, your new company in, in, in 2013. It took, you know, it, you were, you were, were you under the gun to try and, and get an event together in a year? Like, how did that work out for you? Did you have that already forecast? Like, hey, I'm going to start this company and we're going to do this event within a year's time. Yeah, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I actually had hoped to get the New York event out the door in June and get to San Francisco in the fall. And one of the several pivots I had to make during the course of the year was to uh, realize in time that that was overambitious. And one of the things, of course, about an event is that when I say realize in time, that's in time to give the sponsors who have signed up notice that they don't need to book flights and book hotels. So it's a funny little uh, business in that you have to kind of make that call in enough time that these sponsors haven't, you know, made those commitments. Um, so that was kind of the original plan and the original format was a little different too. And, you know, frankly, um, I'm looking at a really great show and we'll get into it and I'm super excited for it. We got great big brands, great hot startups and all of that good stuff. Um, but it pro- you know, I know from experience, it would have been a little bigger if I had, uh, you know, immediately settled on, okay, I'm going to do the first event in October and it's going to look like this on Thursday, press consumer, etc. Right. Um, uh, you know, I've got companies telling me, and these are mostly companies, of course, I've worked with a lot over the years. Uh, they're telling me I'm already in their 2015 calendar. I haven't had an event and I don't have 2015 dates yet. So that's <laughs> really reassuring. I mean, that's amazing. So, yeah, I mean, that whole piece of it, doing this on my own, all of the planning and, and et cetera, um, was definitely a learning, you know, a learning experience over the course of the year. Well, with with that with that said, it, you know, I want to I want to talk a little bit about just, you know, entrepreneurial jitters. You know, you're you're going into this. <laughs> I mean, you're a you're a you're, you're a guy that's that that was sharpened by the steel of doing events for everyone else. How did that feel? How was that moment of clarity for you when you were like, listen, I can do it. It's like anything else. If you're good at something, you know, you're going to do it yourself. How did that how did that feel for you? Just waking <laughs> up and you were like, yeah, I'm going to do this myself. I, you know, another great question. I mean, you know, because obviously joining Gadget had some similarities. I mean, you know, Ryan and Peter's track record speaks for itself, but it was certainly definitely a startup. And, you know, keep in mind, and your listeners, you know, obviously have no idea, but I, you know, I'm also living in Manhattan with a, yep. a wife and an eight-year-old, and luckily we're zoned for a really great public school, so I've got that off my. I tell people, you know, one of my one of the best days of my life was when he transitioned from private preschool to, to public school. Right. Um, Your so, pocket yeah, gets a I break. Mean, tremendous pressure. <laughs> and they've, you know, my wife, of course, especially has been super supportive. Um, I almost went this direction when they canceled Ziff Davis. Um, as soon as they canceled, when they canceled Digital Life, excuse me, uh, as soon as they canceled Digital Life, in the midst of the economic meltdown, I had started to think of a format for a consumer-facing event that ended up looking a lot like Gadget Live. And I had started to think, even after just four years or almost five years of digital life and the relationships I had created, that you know maybe I could go do that my own. It was only the... Um, you know, the, the luck of being introduced to Ryan and Peter and, and jumping at that opportunity to work alongside them at Gadget that kind of postponed that. So it's been cooking for a while. Uh, you know, there again, there are some things that I didn't anticipate this year, of course, but the fundamental understanding of what I think and, you know, I get this reinforced from the companies I work with of what I think my events fill for them in terms of their marketing objectives and stuff. I mean, I felt pretty confident about that all along. All right. Well, that's good. I mean, you know, at least if you have if you have that level of confidence, you're ready to, to break through to the other side, so to speak. You know, you're yeah. ready. You're like, all right, it's just a matter then of reaching out and building. And at that yeah. point, I mean, let me just say, I mean, like any like most startups, I mean, there have been plenty of points along the way this year where I, you know, went home and looked myself in the mirror and said, what the bleep are you doing? Right. But, and, uh, and that that was actually my next question. Like, where, where, did, how many, how did, did you ever have that one moment where you're like, man, I should throw in the towel and just go back into like the private sector? Did you get that? Not to say that you felt defeated, but did you feel tested? 
Uh, I would say that, you know, I, I wouldn't say I felt fully defeated because I wouldn't be here right, right now. But I would say that, you know, close to defeated is just as good a description yep. as tested. Uh, I certainly felt tested. And there were multiple moments uh, for that. I mean, it's a very competitive landscape, the event space. Um, you know, one of the things, and we'll get into it a little bit, but one of the things I'm really doing with Get Geeked in the way I've expanded the Gadget Live model is really taking a you know, going after the tried and true industry media events as well. These events that haven't changed their format since before Facebook launched and are, in my opinion, overcharging companies to have a drink with a bunch of journalists for a couple of hours. Um, and I think there's so much more an event can deliver on the media side as well as the consumer side. So uh, those are competitive. I mean, those are, you know, those events pop up their calendar and everybody, you know, signs up. And um, so, yeah, yeah. I've had plenty of those moments this year. Well, with that said, and and this is you know we we can start going into into get geeked as a whole. When you were securing the the venue and and you were putting together this event, did you feel that there that there was a void that needed to be filled in a consumer facing tech event? And the reason I say this is because you know everybody knows CES and everybody makes that pilgrimage mm -hmm. to Vegas every mm -hmm. January. Same thing with NAB and all this stuff. But I always feel that New York and even Chicago, they they're lacking that, you know, that punch, you know, that CES level punch. Mm -hmm. And I think it, it, you know, it's weird because we're such a, a forward thinking, technologically advanced city where where applicable. Let's let's be realistic. You know, there's some parts <laughs> of, of New York's and thinking that's still antiquated. But, you know, is that is that your 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 goal? Like, or do you feel that that's the way to be like, listen, I want to be the guy for this? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's right. Um, you know, I said to you before we started recording that it was funny to be on a podcast because I'm so used to kind of being behind the scenes and obviously communicating not just with my sponsors, but with my attendees wherever necessary, but not so much, you know, out in the public being interviewed or what have you. Right. Um, I think, you know, there's a void in a couple of different contexts. And, okay. and, you know, this goes into what Get Geek has become. I mean, and we'll talk about that a little bit, I assume. But, you know, there's a void to the extent that events aren't delivering the press and the consumer at the same time. Um, there's a void, a bigger void. And this is, you know, I tell people the format for Get Geeked, which we can talk about. You know, it's not rocket science, albeit it's a little unique. But the bigger void is this notion of the event as a platform. Um, and, and that goes to the notion of, of everyone's companies individuals need for content and this idea that these interactions you have at my events um, can be so much more than isolated moments in time they really can be a real content engine for you to tell if you're a company for you to tell this really great story after the event yeah i mean that's that's one of the things that i like i said it, it, it not that it's lacking but just that there is a disconnect like i said it's pretty much you go hello this is the product i like it i don't like it let me take some pictures here's my card i'll take your card yeah we'll be in touch and it, it, it not to say that it feels cold but you just don't get genuine you don't feel the enthusiasm there because it feels like everybody's punching the clock yeah and, and well, I, I mean I, you know when we I mean, this goes back to digital life, too, but traveling the country with Gadget Live, whether it was New York or San Francisco, where they are a bit more tech savvy, where, you know, if you're on the border of the tech industry, you might be able to sneak into a big product launch here or there. Um, but even more so when we started to hit like Boston and Chicago and Seattle, uh, you know, the energy and the enthusiasm inside those Gadget Live shows was so fundamentally different than what you see at CES or, you know, any of these B2B shows. I mean, they were so excited to be there. They had great questions. Um, they were almost unanimously positive, um, with the exception of a couple times when we chose a venue that was too small and they got stuck in line for a while. Yep. <laughs> but, you know, the energy and, and the inside those events was just so different. Well, that's that's the thing. I mean, when when I covered my my first event and then I saw the, you know, the location for for the Get Geeked event, I said to myself, "Yeah, I think I think Barry's figured out the formula because that's what happens. It's either you're stifled by space, you're stifled by location, you're stifled by layout, and eventually you find you finally figure out the formula that yep. works." And I'm sure that this year, you know, being the first kind of jumping in, you're you're still going to learn from that process, yep. but you you have a good understanding where you know, listen, I got to make sure that people get in. I got to make sure this yeah. is like this. 
I mean, when the event is new, you have to revisit a lot of those variables, obviously. And, right. um, you know, we say one thing we say in the event business, of course, is that you never know your venue's too small until you know your venue's too small. Um, and it's, you know, because, hey, it's an event. You're making calls on venues and space and vendors, you know, far in advance of your final sponsor lifts, let alone your attendee count. And the, um, you know, the other variable at Get Geek. At, at, as it was at Gadget Live, of course, and I tell my attendees this in advance, uh, is it's free to attend, you know, and the trade-off for being free to attend is that I can only work with the knowledge I have from doing these types of events in terms of what that attrition rate's going to be because, you know, it's easy to, I mean, our, for instance, our RSVP numbers at South by Southwest, of course, where they have bots that allow you to RSVP for all the parties. Right. I mean, you know, they were in the zillion, you know, thousands and thousands of RSVPs, so, you know, the trade-off is uh, otherwise I charge and I get a much better, uh, more accurate readout of, of who's going to come off that RSVP list because the attrition obviously drops, you know, significantly if you paid to be there. Uh, but I don't want to do that, you know, so I do the best I can to measure the RSVP numbers against my experience and try to get a good feel of what that number at the venue that night of the event is actually going to be. Well, you, you've already come out of the gate swinging with a lot of great events, you know, between Lenovo, Staples, Samsung, Sling, TiVo, and, you know, Western Digital, Sharp. A lot of great companies are on board. How, how, how was that process of just building the roster of companies? Did you kind of know who you wanted to reach out to as a first-timer for the event? How did you, how did you put that together? Because, uh, you know, you knew a who's who from every company based on your, on your tenure. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny because, uh, I mean, it, it'll shock people, I, I I guess, knowing what I do. And I said earlier, I spend 80 of my time selling. I really don't use CRM. I really use, like, basically, you know, Google spreadsheets. Right. Uh, I just find it, it lets me capture exactly the information and organize things the way I want. And I have yet to meet a CRM that doesn't throw a bunch of crap at me that I just don't want to deal with. Um, so, yeah, I could show you my spreadsheets on this stuff. So, uh, But ultimately, it falls into these two buckets, right? The company that I've done a ton of work with that have done my events. I mean, TiVo, it's not necessarily the same people, but you go back to 2005 or 2006 and they did that death of a VCR stunt at Digital Life where they buried a VCR and, <laughs> uh, and if you brought in your your cable bill, you walked out with one of the, you know, the early TiVo units, people all over New York City were carrying them on their shoulder and it was amazing. And so, you know, with those types of companies, TiVo, Sling, Western Digital, um, Lenovo, uh, I mean, I've worked a ton of with them. And as a matter of fact, those companies, you know, unsurprisingly were the first to sign on, but they were also the ones that stuck with me when I kind of called them up and said, listen, I'm kind of changing things here a little bit and I might move this a week back to make the date a little better. And they were like, you know, just make sure you settle on it. I mean, they weren't, you know, unwilling to to push back, but they just said, you know, make sure you give us plenty of time and, and, and we'll be there with you. Uh, and then there's the other half of it, which is, you know, arguably more exciting is that reaching out and getting responses from the ninja blocks and the, and the buy-in audios and the tangible plays and these, you know, because there's such a, incredible renaissance especially in the hardware startup scene and you get the feedback and those companies get back to you and they're like hey i really like the sound of what you're doing and next thing you know after a, a week or two weeks or longer um you know they're signed up and their logos on the site and you know that your attendees are going to come in and you know ninja blocks obviously is a great example their connected home devices is, is really really amazing uh tangible play which has the um, kind of virtual reality interactive uh, iPad apps uh, for kids. And you know your attendees are going to walk in and they may have heard of them, they may haven't, but they're going to be like, whoa, this is really, really cool. Yeah, and I mean, you got some great partners. I saw, I saw Uber was in there, which is, which is crazy. Uber is really just increasing their footprint. They're really becoming um, a, a great partner on the tech scene for so many people because I think they, they were in the trenches, you know, like you are, like I am, you yeah. know, where they understand, hey, this is what it's like to start up. This is what it's like to, to kind of claw your way up into, into the realm of, of relevancy on a big scale. So, you know, so it's refreshing to see that. The first time I reached out and, and did a partnership with Uber, they were pretty small. I mean, they were definitely buzzing along and, and you know, they were uh, on a lot of people's radar screen. But they were pretty small and we went through a, a whole series of kind of negotiations and back and forth on what the deal, you know, what the discount we offer should be in the language. And, uh, and then I called up my buddy, you know, just a couple of weeks ago and he said, you know, great to hear from you. Of course, yeah, we'd love to do this event. And he gave me a link for... Um, 
for a, an online form that you fill out if you're an event that wants to partner with Uber. So I really, I think it's cool. I feel kind of like I was at the you know forefront of, of getting them involved in events and how they can partner with events. And they've been an amazing partner ever since. Well, that that's the thing with, with, with partnerships too. The partnerships define, and people don't realize this, your partnerships define you going forward because as soon as those companies come into play other companies that may not have you know been interested initially may be like well well damn you know this company's involved and this company well hell what's this guy barry doing and it opens up some different doors i mean did you meet that along the way as well just you're pitching to a company and they're like eh. <laughs> well, you know at the risk of of pulling the veil back a little bit i mean we joke all the time you know i mean if if sharp signs up then your next call is lg you know yep. if canon signs up your next call is olympus i mean you know that's definitely the the way it rolls. Uh, but, you know, one other thing that just kind of made me think about is, you know, we're talking a lot about the company's relationships with consumers and, and my, you know, journey, quote unquote. And, you know, so much of this, Rich, is just built on uh, on the business side, on the selling the event side and on the partnership side is built on relationships, too. I mean, right. you know. Actually, I don't know why your logo is not up in the partner side. You got to send me that over, and we'll get it up there. But you know, you look at most of these partners, and and even a significant amount of these sponsors. And I've got, I mean, these are friends of mine, and I love that. I mean, I love when Western Digital shows up at the event. There are hugs and kisses, you know. And it's, I mean, that's the key piece of the B two B side too. Just like it's ultimately uh, important to your success, you know, as a consumer facing company. Well, that's that, you know, people, people don't realize that. And that's, that's what I mean. It's like on this journey, you, you, you build relationships where mm -hmm. you know each other on a first name basis. You call and wish somebody a happy birthday. You know, you, yeah, yep. you know, you yep. know each other's kids' names. It's, it's, it's so strange that for, for a, a, a genre that's so connected, we're so disconnected. You know what I mean? Like you, you can be so connected on Facebook and Twitter and, oh, let me see how you're doing. You know, oh, it, Facebook told me it's your birthday. Yeah, right, but that right. but that face to face interaction, you know what you were saying with the with Western Digital and and getting hugs and hellos, that's still valuable. A handshake and a phone call are still valuable. You know, and you're still and you're still doing that. It's you, well, you yeah, know, your, I mean, your, your you LinkedIn know, that's was why great face to face that. isn't going anywhere, either on the B2B side or on the B2C side. You know, it's it's kind of cliche. And, you know, frankly, it used to be a bigger part of my pitch back in the day at Digital Life. But, you know, nothing still replaces looking somebody at the eye and shaking their hand. Nope. I mean, I mean, I like I like your description where you said you're a passionate marketer with an entrepreneur's enthusiasm and an attorney's reasoning because you see the logistics <laughs> You see the logistics and everything, but you still value the stuff that's fundamental, just as being an entrepreneur, just as somebody being on the grind. You still value yeah. that. Well, I mean, for me, the logistics are, you know, that's the customer service piece of it. And I know I've been doing this long enough to know that the people who uh, execute the event for any given sponsor, you know, they may not necessarily, sometimes they are, but they may not necessarily be the decision makers, but they're part of that conversation. So even from just a sales perspective, you need to keep them happy. But more generally speaking, you know, if your event starts at 8 a.m., then you're going to have a bunch of sourpusses um, who, you know, flew to New York the night before and had to get up and start setting up at 5 a.m. And uh, when you consider the, you know, the fact that, if it's a consumer-facing show, no one's going to show up at 8 a.m. anyway, then that's just bad planning. No, it's true. And, I mean, that's that's one of the things that people still forget. There's still time. There's still preparation. I mean, preparation is the biggest part of it. And I think that the amount of time you took to prepare this, it, it just shows your, your belief in it. Because anybody could have just been like, yeah, you know, we rent this venue. We'll get a couple of guys in there. You know, we'll give out some food. We'll only invite the press. And then before you know it, you get zero traction. By making it consumer-faced, consumer you allow the consumer to sell your event for you. Because these yep. are the people that are going to go on Twitter and said, hey, just left get yeah. geeked, want, want a 46-inch TV. Yeah, awesome. and it's funny because, you know, even beyond the partners you see listed, I mean, I, I unabashedly reach out to, you know, hyper-local blogs and, and hyper-local Twitter feeds because, you know, Get Geeked and Gadget Live before were free to attend. And if you don't want to be, you know, if you want to be the local Twitter feed that purports to keep your followers informed of the cool things happening in your city and you don't want to tell them about Get Geeked, then then you're probably doing a disservice. So I'm pretty unabashed about, you know, tweeting to these local sites and local Twitter feeds and being like, hey, don't forget to tell your friends about Get your followers about Get Geeked. 
are you planning and, and this is just you know for thinking ahead do, do you want to keep it relegated to one day or do you feel that spreading it out over a couple of days is is just a better model i mean sometimes you feel that wow after that one day is over you go man i could have done this or if i would have had another day we could have done this do you do you figure that keeping it within the confines of one day is more efficient versus multiple days i think it's more I think it's what the industry wants is what I think. Um, you know, I could fill several days and we would do concerts and crazy contests <laughs> and have celebrities like we did at digital life. But I just don't think that that's the model. I mean, I know because I spend all day talking to these companies, you know, that's not the model. I mean, it, it, you're not just measured in your kind of success quote unquote in terms of helping these companies meet their objectives but it's you know it's a broader formula that includes these the uh, success in helping them meet their objectives against the efficiency and cost effectiveness and resource intensiveness uh, if that's a word of that event and you know what the companies and one of the reasons gadget live was so successful is they like this idea of um being able to come in and set up and not having to spend you know send 30 people to new york like they may have at digital life for four or five days and so i do think that's the model i mean unsurprisingly i'm very eager to you know look at the calendar and see where else i can take the event um location wise but i don't foresee expanding it to multiple days unless the market starts to tell me something different well, with that, with that, you know, you you were talking about doing San Francisco. How do you how do you choose your locations? Obviously, New York because you're a New Yorker. But how, you know, what what's the the driving force for you to choose locations for your events? I mean, get geeked, obviously, being being first and foremost. Well, first, for the record, I'm actually a Bostonian who lives in New York. But, I won't um, tell anybody. It's okay. <laughs> but um. You know, the thing about Get Geeked from a format standpoint, and I alluded to this earlier about the idea of really extending the Gadget Live model to compete with the industry press events, but also offer these companies the consumer engagement alongside the media engagement. Uh, that model limits this event specific this specific format to probably new york and san fran um only because there isn't a ton of tech media in in those other cities right now um but what i'm thinking about doing is creating a second more gadget live like version of this um different and you know even though i go consumers from seven to ten at get geeked i mean there are reasons um that this show has you know, is different and will deliver more and has more bells and whistles and a much, much bigger focus on making sure these companies walk out of there with content. But, um, uh, but I am thinking that because I loved visiting those other cities and the energy, like I said earlier, was so great in those other cities that I am thinking of, you know, more of a meetup style event, again, more similar to what I did with Gadget Live that I can take to those other cities. Now, having said that, for the most part, once you make that decision, the priority does tend to become, you know, what are the bigger DMAs? Where can I get a few press in the door for a little half hour preview when no one else, when the public isn't in? You know, where are the more dense urban cities? What cities are more tech savvy? Uh, you know, and, and that is balanced against what your bandwidth is and what your resources are. I mean, at Gadget Live, we had a, you know, pretty significant list of cities that we evaluated every year. And, um, you know, the companies only have so many resources, too. I mean, if I could do, you know, one a month, would I have Atlanta and Charlotte and Phoenix and D.C. and Miami on the menu, right. on, the, on, on the menu? Sure. And, and have I given up on the, going to those cities? Absolutely not. There are geeks everywhere. That's right. Manage your expectations. You know that it's, you know, probable that the audience will be different and probably smaller, the smaller the city is, certainly the less dense the city is. But, uh, but you do start with those other real big DMAs and those other real well-known tech-savvy cities like Chicago and Seattle and Austin during South By was a no-brainer, a logistically crazy show to produce because <laughs> of South By. But, um, you know, you go where the geeks are and you, you measure your resources to see where else you can go. Well, in, in talking about locations, how, do you, how is the tech industry in New York City versus, say, San Francisco? Where, where, where are the differences in terms of just logistics and partners and, and things of that nature? Do you feel that as you go from region to region, the way tech is covered, the way tech is consumed varies? Or do you feel that the medium is pretty much, you know, unilateral across the board? 
Well, I don't think it's unilateral, but I do think the differences are exaggerated. Um, okay. You know, more to varying degrees, but more often than not, I've found, and I and I love this, that, you know, there's a real great support system. Um, so, you know, you get into a city and you find the local, and this was kind of always the secret sauce with Gadget Live, and I, you know, mentioned it earlier in terms of getting those local influencers to, to help promote your event. And, you know, that's kind of the hard groundwork research, boots on the ground almost kind of stuff that a lot of events don't really do either. Um, but, you know, you find that one of the tech meetup groups that you really want to work with knows somebody at the other tech meetup and they kind of suggest it and maybe make an intro. And so there's really great support systems. And again, I say it varying degrees because uh, some cities are a little better than that. But I, you know, it's almost like the differences in the tech scene in these cities mirror the differences in the personalities. New Yorkers are very different than people from San Francisco. And, um, but one great example I remember, we only did one gadget live show there was LA. And I don't know if it was because, you know, they really are kind of a newer tech city. I mean, you know, there's so much startup activity in all of these cities now. Right. Right. Um, but the groups, the meetups and the other local groups that support the startup community in LA were so supportive of one another as well as of the event. Um, so, I, you know, they're, they're different, but I think more or less the differences come from the general differences of, of the people in each of these cities, if that makes sense. Nope, I, I understand. I mean, the, the, the reason I ask is because sometimes when, you know, doing the show and, and interacting with my own audience, like sometimes I'll be like, yeah, this and this and this, and they'll be like, yeah, man, you guys get all the cool stuff out there. And it's weird because I'm like, you know, every city gets a Comic-Con or every city gets a this or that. And it's just yeah. weird, like, hearing other people, like, you know, voice that. They'll be like, yeah, man, we don't get cool stuff like that. So that's why I was asking about, like, expansion and just the, the, the logistics that go into hitting these other regions. Because, yeah. like you said, you know, geeks are everywhere. Tech exists everywhere. And we're so connected now than we were 10 years ago. I mean, I was, uh, before we got on air, I was looking at photos from Digital Life from 2005. <laughs> and, and I remember I, I some of the photos I have in there, it's like Method Man and Red Man, the Gotti Boys. <laughs> Like, 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 you know, uh, it it was so crazy, you know, um, st the the Star yeah, Wars, Clone I, Wars. <laughs> I mean, there was also real no social media element to that show, yeah. right? I mean, we barely, I actually just got my little, you know, six-year anniversary notification from Twitter. But even that puts me, you know, at the um, signing up for Twitter after Digital Life was done. So, I mean, you know, there wasn't really any social media element to that. Very little bit those last couple of years. But, uh yeah, I mean, things have changed. And, you know, I will say that the, the startups themselves, um, because, you know, as you know, I make a real point to engage the local startup community when I'm coming into a city and I love to get those companies involved. And I tease them that, you know, I'll keep my startup pricing super aggressive as long as some of these bigger brands keep doing my events, which, you know, is a half joking, right? Um, those folks, I mean, they're again, a little different because they come from different parts of the country, but they're facing a lot of the same stuff. They have a lot of the same energy. I really find at the actual company level at the startup, at the startups in these different, um, in these different cities, a lot of similarities. Well, that's, it's funny because when, when we were talking about that, you know, the, when I took my, um, when I went through my gallery of photos, like I was going through my gadget live photos when I covered that. And it's like, like companies like Boxy, you know, I remember Boxy was just a Boxy box and the, the companies have evolved beyond the quote unquote startup. And I, and I wanted to ask, yeah. do you feel, does it bring you, does it bring a smile to your face? Just seeing like, Hey, I remember when this company started and they were just a table and two guys and an idea. Yeah. And now this guy. Just I mean, sold sure. I mean, Boxy's a great example for a few of the things we've talked about because some of those people who founded Boxy have become really good friends of mine, and they're doing really interesting stuff now. Um, and um, you know, even some of these companies that, if you didn't know the history, you'd look out and you'd think, "Were well, you know these guys have been around forever or what have you?" But you know, Sling doing my events for years, but yep. it was definitely a small little startup when they started Roku. Um, and of course, you know, go back to what we said earlier about building relationships with these companies. I mean, you know, these are my buddies and it, it totally makes me happy to see them succeed and, uh, and they're startups and, or at least they were, and right. you know, that's a very malleable term, but, um, you know, so they're able to experiment and, and 
do interesting stuff and try new things. And, and even to this day, some of those companies, even though they're a lot bigger than they were then, are, are, are still able to do that. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, so I remember I had pictures of the first sling box. I remember after I got to see um, Boxy for the first time, I interviewed Andrew Kippen from, from Boxy. Right, and, right. He, I mean, he, so Andrew's at Canary now. Yeah. And, uh, and, and they're crazy. doing this crazy, amazing device, which they're getting ready to get out the door sometime. Uh, I have no inside information on that. But uh, <laughs> but um, but this is a little whole home control home unit that is going to be just mind-blowing. I mean, the tech behind it is, is really crazy, and the people working on it are super smart, Andrew included. Well, looking at looking at that, and like I said, the growth of it, um, the the term startup, it's funny because startup is always all oh, these small companies that are just starting up. I always feel that startup also should apply to the just starting the journey as a whole, because that's, you know, everybody's like, oh, it's just a, a small company that's trying mm-hmm. to get their foot in the door. And it's like, yeah, but the startup didn't just start because some guy slapped a, a LLC on a name. You know what I mean? There's the idea, the creation, the trials, the failures. You know, there's so much to it. So I always feel that the startup term should be a little more broad based on that because there's just so much that goes into it. But I am, you know, I want to definitely congratulate and condone everything you've been doing because I feel that you have been a driving force in nurturing these startups because you're giving them a platform where they can actually access the public. And it's like, how are you going to know? I I appreciate that, of course. And I, uh, you know, I mean, my pitch to startups is often literally, listen, if you're still in super secret beta, then, you know, this is not the right event from you, for you. I agree with your, you know, proposed uh, adjustment to the definition of startup. A lot of the things you mentioned happened before the LLC even, you know, yep. gets, gets filed. Um, but, you know, what makes my event, I think, unique vis-a-vis startups is, is exactly what you said. You know, if you're ready to go get customers and it goes, it's funny because a lot of these startups obviously aren't hardware manufacturers. And I get asked all the time, I don't have a gadget. Why would I do your event? And I'm like, if you're ready to go get customers and you want to talk to the most influential tech enthusiasts in the country, um, and you know, your target audience is almost definitely the same as Motorola's target audience for their new tablet. Those are the people. And if you're ready to go get customers, this isn't a VC event. It's not a pitch event. It's a, you know, build relationships with consumers event. And if you're ready to do that, then it's a great event for you. And I love the idea that you can, you know, go play with Lenovo's newest tablet at one table or booth and walk next door and see some crazy startup who's got an app that you're going to want to use on that new tablet. I love that. Yeah, I mean that's that that's really where we're going and I like I said, you know, I I'm I'm happy to see that because if you're if you're a company just starting out, even even, you know, guys that are in the same niche that I am where it's like, you know, we run our sites, we do what we got to do, we work a regular 9 to 5. Mm-hmm. We we want to still be able not only to interface with fellow enthusiasts but also just to to interact with with companies that we're passionate about. Like I I still feel that it's great to walk up to a company like Lenovo or a company like Motorola and be like Hey, you know, I use your product or, Hey, Mm -hmm. I love this or I love that. I I mean, it's refreshing. And I think that there's still value in companies hearing that at a real event. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and I mean, from the, from the sales or the, you know, event production side, I mean, you know, it's, you mentioned Andrew earlier and some of the companies at these shows. I mean, what I love more than anything is you get someone on the phone or, or you, you know, you set up a call because nobody blind calls anybody anymore. Um, and you get someone at a company that maybe you weren't po- that hopeful about. And, you know, it's it can be so individually driven. And you hit someone in the marketing department who just says, I get it. This is exactly what we need. And he takes it and he runs with it and he drives it through. And the next thing you know, they're doing every city. And I just it's just so much so much fun when you see that happen. Yeah, I think I think that's you know that's a, that's a good way to kind of bring it full circle. So I want to I want to get into the meat and potatoes of Get Geeked. Get Geeked is uh, according to the timer I have, it's fourteen hour, uh, fourteen <laughs> days, fourteen hours, thirty eight minutes, and fifty two seconds as of right now. Um, uh... <laughs> of course, uh, registration is live. Uh, people can go to getgeek.tv to register. The event goes down Thursday, October sixteenth. And 4 p.m. for the press, 7 p.m. to the public people. You can go in there and get your hands on all the great toys. You can meet all the vendors. You can interact with them. Um, It's really, really an awesome event. Barry kicks ass with this stuff. Like I said, I've been... uh, 
covering Barry's events going back. I like I said, I have digital life photos from two thousand and five. So I love that. You know, I, I, I believe in the, I believe in this stuff. And, you know, definitely look for Get Geeked on Twitter and on Facebook. Um, you know, give us give us the last pitch. Yeah, well, you know, charge up your smartphones because the more media, the more content we generate at this thing, the bigger the next year will be. I can promise you that. And of course, you know, there's chances to win. I mean, the tried and true stuff still helps too. We got tons of gear to give away. We got goodie bags for the first 500. Uh, we'll do more goodie bags next time, I promise. But we got goodie bags for the first 500. So it's just going to be a ton of fun. Yeah, like I said, it's just yeah, I'm so happy to be a part of it. I'm I'm happy that we reconnected, um, especially because, like I said, you know, just the passage of time and the changing of careers uh, just does so much. But you know, I'm I'm glad that we're reconnected, and I'm glad that I can share the Get Geeked uh, message with my audience. Uh, you know, and hopefully this would be something we could do on a on a regular basis, just to bring everybody up to speed. Like I said, uh, Get Geeked NY goes down October 16th. And it's going to be at the Metropolitan West. Uh, mark this down, guys. 639 West 46th. Um, again, that's between 11th and 12th Avenue. 4 p.m. for the press. 7 p.m. for the public. Make sure to get there. First 500. Get some goodie bags, like Barry said. Do not do not miss out. I uh, just want to thank Barry for taking us beyond the mic. Thanks, Rich. You've just heard My Take Radio Beyond the Mic with Barry Myers. To find out more about the Get Geeked event or to attend, head over to Get Geeked. Dot TV. Scroll down and you can register. The event is free of charge. To keep up with Get Geeked, you can find them on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Get Geeked NY. You can also follow them on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash Get Geeked NY or at Get Geeked. All those links will be in the interview notes for this episode. If you want to listen to My Take Radio, you can listen live every Wednesday and Thursday at 11 p.m. Eastern. 8 p.m. Pacific, Wednesday nights, we focus our attentions on MMA and wrestling. And then Thursdays, it is gaming and entertainment. As always, My Take Radio Beyond the Mic and My Take Radio Behind the Mic are exclusive and are not live broadcast. So you can get them through our RSS feeds or if you subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn Radio. Last but not least, if you are an MTR app owner, which is available for Android, iOS, and Windows Mobile, you'll be able to get these interviews before they reach the general public. The app is $1.99. It's cheaper than a cup of coffee. For Android users, you can get it in the Amazon Android Marketplace. For Apple users, of course, iOS users, you can head over to iTunes. And, of course, if you are a Windows Mobile user, you can head over to the Windows Marketplace. On behalf of myself and the rest of the MyTake Radio team, Thank you guys for checking out this episode of MTR Beyond the Mic.